You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. And amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we are um, we're going to be toward the end of the service, going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So when you came in today, if you didn't receive uh, 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 the elements, uh, the, the the juice and the bread. Uh, if you want to, because we're kind of set up with pews and all that, and it's super uncomfortable to scooch past everybody. If you need it anytime, uh, it's best to get it now rather than later. So just put up your hand, and uh, we've got some elders, some leaders that will come down, and we'll hand those to you. And everybody else, don't look at them. So, okay. Uh, so as we get into this today, remember this. We're walking through the book of Matthew. I just want to keep reminding us. We're walking through the book of Matthew for purpose and reason. One, we love God's word. We want to grow into it. But we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to be disciples and make disciples. And studying the Gospels is a great study on, on how Jesus discipled and how he equipped his disciples to go and to make disciples. And so we're, we're slowly, meticulously walking through it. Sometimes there's situations that take place. There's other times where there's great teaching. Sometimes it's extremely convicting maybe to us. And other times, at the same time, encouraging. And so I pray that today's text, we're going to talk about uh, a bit of a, a touchy subject when it comes to relationships. But this is God's word. And the intention today, understand, I'm going to say this. The intention today is I want it to, to come uh, from a heart that loves and a heart that cares. And never do I want the words that I say to be any like guilt-inducing. I don't want to make people feel shamed uh, because uh, the enemy does that enough. And Jesus' cross, what, that we're going to celebrate, remember as we take communion, uh, restores us, rescues us from all of that. Enough said. Jesus has been talking about relationships in chapter 18. So he's talked about our relationships with each other, the church, how we interact with one another, how we love and how we care. He's teaching his disciples because he's, Jesus is getting to his last days. And he's on his way down to Jerusalem where he will uh, willingly give of himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And, and while he's on his way there, it's kind of like these, hey, uh, he's having these conversations with the disciples, the things you need to know. And he talks about, first of all, at the beginning of 18, he talked about how you treat those that, are, that you feel are less mature in, in the faith. And, and Jesus says, hey, but you're all in your family. You're all in this together. So don't treat any of them poorly. Don't lead any of them astray. Don't cause, never as a mature Christian, uh, or if you think you are, you should never be responsible for an, a younger believer looking at you as an example and going, I don't want to be a believer anymore. That's really ultimately what Jesus was saying, right? We are called to model Christ to one another. And, and, and that's exactly who we are. And so Jesus says, if any of you cause one of these to stumble, shame on you. There, there's, 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 there's terror awaiting for you at the end. Well, then it goes on because the disciples are interested and they're wanting to know, well, what happens if somebody does wrong me? And then Jesus says, well, remember, relationships matter. This is how I've designed you. And, and he says, so go and talk to them. Get it worked out. Don't talk about them one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And if that doesn't work, but, but again, 
And people have asked me about this uh, a lot in the last couple of weeks. Remember, the reason that we go to somebody, we have those conversations, is, is not because, again, we don't think we're better than people, but it's because of true love that we have for one another in the body of Christ that we say, I love you too much. Not because I've been wronged, so I have to call you out on this, so that I in some way am justified. I'm, I'm, I have to let you know what you've done because it's sin and, and your soul is at stake, right? You... you it's between you and God, and I want you to have a right relationship with him. Call yourself to repentance to him. And so it says, do it alone. If that doesn't work, take two people. That's how serious Jesus is taking it. And if two people don't work, get the whole church together. Get the body together, and let's, let's help somebody walk with Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Well, then uh, 18 ends. They're all about these relationships and how we interact with each other. 19 begins. It's a different scenario, possibly even a different day, but the way in which Matthew has laid it out is that it's a continuation on relationships and the value of them and, and, and holding them high in value. And today we're going to talk about that, how we value marriage is extremely significant in our relationship with Christ. And so Matthew chapter 19 I want to read for you the first 12 verses. So if you would, let's stand together and I, I uh, want to read this for you. So when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and he entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Now we know he's, he's working his way toward Jerusalem. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him. And tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are now one. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. And he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made but eunuchs, by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is God's word. You can have a seat. It's interesting uh, to me, uh, I, I, I read pa the passage that, you know, I'm going to preach over and over and over again, and just looking for these little nuggets that stand out, and I love the way that it begins. Uh, I think we could learn a lot from it. Jesus is, is now, it says, Matthew's very descriptive. He's on his way to Judea, and he's working his way down. He knows why he is on this journey. His life is about to come to an end on this earth. Yes, there will be great things after the resurrection, but he's not thrilled about what's going to take place in his life, and he's going down this road. He's had some great teaching. He's got great crowds following. You can imagine the, the emotional roller coaster this is, of the people praising him, and he's healing people, and, and he's caring for people, and God is being glorified through his miraculous power. And then here come the Pharisees. 
right? Isn't that always the case? When, when it seems as though we are, we're, we're, we're trying to do what it is, we're doing ministry, we're loving people, and it seems like things are going so well, here come the naysayers. Here come the people that want to tear us down. Here come the people that want to distract us so that they can fulfill their own selfish personal uh, agenda. And, and why? What was going on? We've talked about this a lot, but Jesus was, Jesus was the one who was now gaining all the popularity, and he was flipping their understanding and their teaching of Scripture upside down because they had been teaching Scripture so that it would fit them uh, to make them more powerful among the people. And Jesus says, well, what you've learned, people, really, uh, they've, they've been teaching you poorly, right? Misinterpreting the Scripture. They want the guy dead. And, and so here they come, and they want to do it in front of a crowd, which I think is, is really, um, I would say, uh, particular for Matthew. I think he puts it in there for a reason, because Jesus had just gotten done taking. But look, if you have a problem with somebody, go talk to them alone. And, and here come the Pharisees, and, and they call Jesus out, what, in front of the crowd, Matthew says. Because not only do they want to try to shame him, but see, they're, they're trying to get him to admit something that would, that would be heretical. And, and if so, then they could rile up the crowd against him. Oh, what Jesus went through for us, right? It, it, the, the, the physical abuse and the end of his life, the hanging on the cross, but, but his daily life was this back and forth of we praise you, we hate you. We praise you, we hate you. And I would just say, don't you ever feel that way, Right? feels like that you've, you've got people that you're really close to, and then why is there always those people, right? What does Jesus do? He, he loves them both, really. I mean, he, he's going to call out the Pharisees, but he's doing it. I care about your hearts. And he doesn't scream at them or yell at them and push them away. He, he chooses in this moment to teach them, to continue to teach them. He took every opportunity to care about those that had a need, and he spoke wisely to those who only cared about themselves. I'm going to help you to understand this differently. Now, just know this. We, we, we're not going to be able to cover every detail today on Jesus' teaching in, on, on marriage and divorce and remarriage. We covered a lot of that. You can go back and listen to uh, his teaching on, an, on the Sermon on the Mount. But today I want to talk about this, an understanding that we can all have of why, why marriage. That's what Jesus is explaining do not understand why God ordained it in the first place, why he designed us this way. Because I know, I know. So listen to me. Uh, as your pastor, I care so much. And I do not want a fear in your mind of feeling like, uh-oh, when is the shame coming? When is the guilt? When is he going to pile on the guilt? Because I know that there are struggling marriages that, that exist in any size crowd like this, that there are people who, who have had marriages that have gone through really tough situations. There's so much pain behind it. And my intention today is not to heap on pain, but I would hope that God's word could be a healing balm in all of this. So, so stick with me. Uh, uh, and because we're going to see how Jesus explains all of this. Um, and so Jesus talks about it. He, he addresses this question that they have. They're trying to trap him. And Jesus basically says, let me just take you back to the beginning, guys. So today as we talk about Marriage being uh, kind of this uh, ordained by God, it, it's a holy estate. And it begins with a strong foundation that I hope that we would understand and be able to trust. So 
They're trying to ask Jesus a question, so they don't want to know. They really don't care Jesus' opinion on, on what they believe about something. Their hope is that he just says it differently enough to get the crowd angry at him. So that they can say, see, he, he's, he's a heretic. We need to get rid of him. He's a fraud. And, and the way that they do it is by bringing up a topic that is very, was very divisive back in the day. Uh, there were two ancient schools of, of Jewish thought. Uh, about 20, 30 years before Jesus' uh, ministry, there were a couple of, of really well-known rabbis, considered to be the best teachers of the day. They actually uh, ended up being considered schools of thought, that as these rabbis would sit and study the Word, they seemed to be the wisest people in the land, and what they said, their commentaries, right, everybody wanted to follow. And so as a good Jew, you followed for the most part, the school of Hillel or the school of Rabbi Shammai. And how they interpreted Scripture was known as the yoke, and you would take their yoke upon, this is how they interpret it, so that's how I'm going to interpret it. Well, one of the, as I said, the most divisive issues was in this area of, of divorce and ending a marriage. And uh, they argued about this from Deuteronomy 24.1. This was Moses' words to the Israelite people. And Moses said, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, and because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and then the passage goes on and on about, so here's how you as men are not allowed to live uh, if you have done this to your wife, right? So, so if, and Moses, what Moses says is if, if you write a certificate of divorce, and then you marry someone else, but then, and then uh, you divorce your next wife, but your first wife, uh, her, her husband, next husband dies, you can't go back and get her, right? And so that's what Moses was, was explaining. And what happened is that, is that uh, the rabbis would sit and they would go over every word of the Torah. Go, what does he mean by this? What do they mean by this? And what do they mean by this? And the focus of this text and what, what these Pharisees are bringing out to Jesus are over two words in that text. Something indecent. And, and actually, the original language was anything indecent. And so Moses said, if a man marries a woman and, and she becomes displeasing to him because he found anything indecent about her. And so you had these two uh, schools of thought. And Hillel focused on uh, the word uh, anything. And Shammai uh, focused on indecent. And th th they, they emphasized one or the other. So you had one school of thought that was, well, what does indecent mean? And, and, and let's talk about that. And so they would have this argument. They would land somewhere. And then you had a more liberal school of thought that said, well, it doesn't matter about the word indecent. Let's just talk about the word anything. What does that mean? And, and, and a lot of people began to ascribe to this. And, and how they defined it, this anything, was literally that. And they actually wrote their own laws or understanding as to what that word meant. And it's crazy. If you ever get a time, you want to search it out and read it. But it was things like too much dust on the floor or she burned my dinner type of a thing. That was, so there was, a, there was a religious school of thought that was if she does anything that I don't like, then I can walk away. You can see how marriage in such a short amount of time from the book of Genesis, the book of Deuteronomy, had just eroded people's hearts had gotten so far away that really what they were arguing about, get, right, the religious leaders were, they were, they were arguing about permission, 
right? What gives us permission to just do whatever we want? And so you can imagine that if the popular opinion of the day was just that, that, you know, so, so what, what are we allowed, what could she do to me that I'm, I'm allowed to get out of this thing? And, and they know that if, however Jesus approaches it, if there's two major schools of thought and it's a very divisive issue, however he answers, one side or the other, he's going to get half the crowd against him. Right? And, and even if you were a male in those days and you, you knew that they're like, hey, we're, Moses commanded it, that, that we can write a certificate of divorce, we can get out of our marriage for whatever reasons we, we need to, if they are justified, we can get out. That, that even the men in those days, even the men in those days where Jesus is teaching and they're hearing this, who had no intention of ever leaving their spouse, would at least fight for the right to be able to. Right? That, that, so they were, this is, this is what the Pharisees, they were smart. They knew what they were doing. We we're going to get everybody uh, against this guy. And I will just tell you, right? Because you're probably already thinking it. Not much has changed today, right? People study the scriptures uh, so that what? So that I'm looking for permission to do what it is. I need justification for why I did what I did to that person and why I said what I said. Because scripture allows me to. Rather than us, what Jesus does is take the back. Let's look at the, let's look at the original meaning behind all of this in the first place. You've strayed pretty far away. So rather than looking at reasons to walk away and leave and think that you're justified, Jesus is saying, how about we look at the reasons why marriage exists in the first place? Because when we understand that, it, it wants us. It, 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 it draws us to desire deeply to cling to one another. Because making obedience to God, His glory, should be our aim. That's where, that's where we find our joy. That's where we find our satisfaction. So Jesus' response begins really publicly uh, in this crowd. He's like, look, you're going to call me out. i got to say something. And how does he open up? He says, have you not read, in other words, have you not read in the Scriptures, which probably made them more angry than him not giving them an answer to the question. How, how dare you, sir? We are the Pharisees. We are the religious leaders of the day. These people follow us. They do what we tell them to do. They respected us, at least until you came along. And dare, how dare you say that we don't know our scriptures? And Jesus is basically saying, y you don't. You've, you've molded them and shaped them into what, what you want. But have you not read from the beginning, way back in Genesis, the creation story, about why marriage exists in the first place? That's what Jesus is saying it begins with the core theological truth that, that God's word is the highest authority in our lives. Direction, correction, showing us how to live. We are in full obedience to God's word because he gave it to us. And, and we are told as we read throughout Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's been given to us by God. There are no mistakes in this. God has given it to us, and he says, this is what I want you to know in order to live the life that I have called you to live. What I want you to know about following me and who I am and how much I love you and what I've done for you. Be obedient to it. Matthew 24.35 says, heaven and earth will pass away before my words ever will. 
In other words, if people say this doesn't really apply to today, they're wrong. It's unbiblical to even say that. Because Jesus said that this world will disappear before these words ever will. And Isaiah says in chapter 48, the grass might wither and the flowers might fall, but the word of God stands forever. It never changes. It is just as authoritative today as it was when God gave it to the men to write it down. And we're called to live into it. That's why a disciple of Jesus Christ, we say here at Century, holds high and applies the word of God. And we can't stray from it. This world wants to tell us that it doesn't matter anymore. But we cannot go into that. We can't live into that. Because his word says that this is the highest authority above all things on the life that we live and who he is. And so Jesus says to them, Guys, you're focused on the wrong thing. Did you not know from the beginning that God tells you to hold fast? He who made them in the beginning made them male and female. That's Genesis 1.27. It was God's design. No mistakes. Plain and simple. I don't know if I can make it any more clear. That when God designed man and he looked at this earth and he said, I need, I need to create People that are in my image on this earth, he said, I'm going to do it with, a, with male and female. No one else. All right? God's design never to be changed. We don't get a say. Because he made them male and female, he made them distinctly different for each other. And he designed them for each other. We all know this, right? Anybody in a relationship knows that men and women are not the same. However, we, we complement one another in really big ways. And God said then, man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So Jesus says, do you guys not remember that, that God said this? There's purpose and a plan. He made them for, for purpose and meaning, male and female, that they would be different. But then when they come together, that they would become one. That he would be the one that would ordain that relationship. That he would design opposite sexes for a purpose and a reason. And that they would have a committed, eternal, that's clinging to each other, holding fast, procreating relationship. And the two become one. God joins them together. And then men and women play their part. And they physically give themselves to each other and they are one. And what God has joined together, no one can separate. No one. I find it really interesting when you read about the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and of all the punishments that come down on them, right, is, is that God says, look, you, you have to, you're going to have to face the consequences of your sin. He talks about pain in childbirth. He talks about working the ground out, that your labor is going to be hard as you work. And he, and he says, and I also, because of your sin, I can no longer be in a, in, in a daily walking in the garden relationship. Our relationship is tainted. He puts them out of the garden. But do you know the blessing that God leaves is, is that he, he doesn't break up that relationship. He, he keeps them together. You, you don't have me anymore, right? You're going to need each other. You're going to walk together. 
I'm going to leave that. And why does he? Because he gave the promise of what? Of one day the one that would crush the head of the serpent that led them into temptation. And Jesus is saying the way that I usher in my salvation for you because of your sin is going to come through what? Through that relationship. That relationship means something. The husband and wife relationship, that covenant that God uh, created for them and what it is that they're supposed to cling fast to is going to be the way in which the Savior would enter into the world. And people say, well, that, that's, that, come on, Pastor, that's Old Testament. Right? Well, New Testament talks about it too. Paul actually says in Ephesians chapter 5, he's instructing uh, on how marriages can be successful. And he says, look, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Women, love your wives as Christ sacrificed. It's all about sacrifice. That's how marriages work. Is that we give, a, we say, it's not about me anymore. We're together. We are one. So, so I'm going to give up my selfish ways, and you give up yours, and together we will give each other what each other needs because that's the way that God designed it. And that's how you have a successful marriage. I tell this to young couples all the time. The way that a marriage falls apart is somebody gets selfish. Somebody stops living like Jesus. And we know, we know that, that we all fail in that every day, but what holds us together, the covenant, we're one. We will not let go of this. I was talking to somebody after last service, and we are just talking about how, uh, how the world that we live in today is that marriage is just not seen as holy. People don't have a, hold a high value for it. But we get together with somebody when we're young and we fall in love and think it's going to be great. And, that, you know, after a few years it gets a little bit rough and we just... We're kind of like the Pharisees, right? Well, I just look, I need a reason. I'll give, let me give you a reason. I can justify it. No, it's, I'm not trying to talk poorly about people. But back in Jesus' day, a husband and wife got married, didn't even know each other, right? It, it was dads chose who was going to get married, put them together, and they needed to what? They needed to, to sacrifice of themselves so that they could learn to grow into that relationship and to grow to love each other so they could grow a family and they understood this is, we're brought together by God to work at this because it represents our relationship with the Father. And Paul says in that Ephesians 5 passage, in sacrificing to each other, he repeats Genesis 2.24. So he says, so therefore man will leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two become one. And Paul says, this is a profound mystery to me. And he says why? He says because a marriage refers to Christ and the church. A marriage, a, a husband and wife brought together by God are a earthly representation of the relationship that Christ our Savior has with us, his body. Where he says, I will give myself to you and I'm asking you to give of yourself to me and for me. And, and, and I will protect you and I will watch over you and I will do great things for you. It's why we... We talk about this all the time when I do weddings. Is that's why it's such a huh, moment when those doors fling open and the, and the bride comes walking down because that is an earthly picture of what we're all waiting for. The day when the trumpet blows, right? And, and the bridegroom is waiting for his bride, comes for his bride. That moment, marriage represents God's relationship with us. But it's more than a representation we're supposed to embrace it. So living into it 
maybe that maybe that's just what you need today. Maybe your marriage is like, man, it's just there's just something not there. Or we're going through a rocky time. Embrace the fact that your marriage is there to represent the relationship that you have with Christ. So study the word, read through the word and go, how can I see my my marriage through how Christ has called me to live? How do I live into the design? We need to follow it. The Pharisees want to argue with him. They're not satisfied with his answer. They're like, well, if that's the case, then why did Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce? Again, uh, they've read scripture wrong. Jesus calls them out on it. He goes, he doesn't say it, but it's understood that Jesus, Moses never commanded it. Like that, that's where you've got it wrong. You think that, that Moses says, if anything happens in your relationship, then you got to get out of it. And, and he says, that's not the case. He says, Moses, Moses didn't command it. You were already doing it. And you were you're doing it a lot. You, you have such a low value of, of marriage. Remember, this is a group of people who've just come out of Egypt. And so they don't fully understand it all. They don't know it all. They need some rules and regulations. And Moses says, look, you, you've, you've been holding a really low view of marriage. And, and so when you continue to do this, we got to lay out some guidelines, some regulations about how to live as a community, it was basically Moses saying, if you do, divorce. And Jesus says, so it's because of a sinful hard heart that Moses permitted it, or he endured it. It's like, it's as same words that use with God and our sin. God allows it. He's not thrilled with it. He's against it. It grieves his heart. But he's long-suffering. He endures it. Because we know that God will take care of it all in the end. And so Jesus is just saying, Moses, that, that passage was not about this. It was not about justification. It was about that you shouldn't do it in the first place and you should learn how to live into it and hold high the value of it. But Moses just laid down rules of what he expects for you now that you have gone through this. But Jesus says again, he says, but from the beginning it wasn't supposed to be this way. He takes them back to the beginning, to Genesis. It wasn't designed this way, but your hard hearts disobeyed. And, and, and really what Jesus is doing, and, and I love this, I think this is why so many women followed Jesus, is that, is that Jesus was, was fighting for them. He's protecting them in the middle of all of this. To say, you've, you've forgotten why this is supposed to take, but you're supposed to be helpmates to each other. You're supposed to build into each other's lives. And, and you treat your wives like they're, like they're property, like they owe you something. That you can just walk away for any reason because you as the man are unsatisfied in some way. Jesus said, so you don't get to do that. That doesn't represent me and my church and what God's design for it was. But you've had hard hearts. And so Jesus gives a better explanation of this Genesis passage. If anyone does divorce his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Why is that? Because God said from the beginning of time, what I join together, no man can separate. And, and you leave your father and mother and you cling to your wife. And that idea, that original uh, 
phrase that God spoke about clinging to your wife is sometimes we talk about leave and cleave. But the idea is a transformation. You're transforming your allegiance and your dependence and everything that you get from your parents. You are now transferring that onto your spouse. You walk away. It doesn't say you don't love your family anymore, but they no longer get the say in your life. They no longer are the providers in your life. You are now a whole new family, and you're going to start a whole new family, and you cling to each other. And the, also, the, the, uh, the original language means that you are held together by a power. God. God holds you together. So if you, if you want to fight that, if you want to go up against God and you want to push away from him and say, I want to be stronger than you and walk away from that, uh, then Jesus says, well, then the only way you can do that is if, is if one has cheated on the other one. Again, a representation of oftentimes you read through the Old Testament and God calls Israel. He says, I'm going to be yours. I'm going to watch over you. I'll protect you. I'll give you blessings. All I ask of you is that, is that I'm your only God. And they disobey constantly and he calls them adulterers. But here's the thing. God says, but I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. No matter what you do, I'll still send my son. I will still care. My grace will still cover it all. But Jesus says in your human relationships... That, that's, that's permission. Not command if it doesn't work out, if you can't work it out. But if you fight for it, you are a living example of the love of Christ that he has for you. That's dwelling in your life. Somewhere along the line, God's covenant became man's paperwork, really. And I, marriage is not paperwork. They can just be ripped in half, thrown away, and it's over. A marriage is clinging to one another. It's a reflection of our hearts with Christ. Malachi 2.16 says God hates divorce. Really short verse with a lot of power. He hates it because it goes against him, his design, his plan, what he wants us to exemplify in the world. I'll also say he hates it because of the pain that it caused because I know that no one goes through a relationship issue like that uh, unscarred, unscathed. He hates it because it becomes our focus. He hates it because of the anger and, and the pain that it causes us. He hates what it does to the children in a relationship. But thanks be to God that he is so full of grace that he cares for us and he walks through and he never lets us go. But we're supposed to claim the room, own our roles. So all of a sudden, uh, it seems as though the conversation takes a bit of a turn into this uncomfortable text about eunuchs, right? Like, whoa, you know, uh, oh, but it fits. The see, what happens is the disciples pull him aside and they're like, hey, uh, okay, we hear what you're saying, um, but if this is the case, if, if we're only allowed to divorce our wives in the case of, of adultery, which, by the way, uh, if you study uh, ancient times, uh, the punishment we know for adultery uh, was death. Uh, and, and so 
there weren't that many women in Jesus' day that were committing adultery, right? Where, where, where it was just, you know, guys were just walking away. Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to walk away. It wasn't happening. Again, Jesus is giving this protection over the women. Can you imagine, ladies? Can you imagine living during this time, thinking that anything you did could end your marriage? Did I speak wrong to him? You know, did I make the wrong meal? You know, did the kids act up? Jesus, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to hold fast to each other at all times. Own the role that I've given you. And so the disciples are going, look, Jesus, we understand what you're saying, but if this is the case, if we're not allowed to leave our wives for anything other than adultery, then we're never going to get to leave our wives. So it's better for us not to ever get married then, right? This is where Jesus again is just like, oh my goodness, right? I'm, I'm leaving this ministry into the hands of these guys. But, but they, they didn't understand it. Why? Because the culture had influenced their, their minds. They didn't understand it. When we, this is where I can say there are a lot of people who, again, relationships, they end. We know it. In America today, over half of marriages end in divorce. But it's because we don't have a true understanding Maybe, maybe you would even say that today. I mean, like, you know what? Yeah, I, in my marriage, I, I, I never had a true understanding of why it was there. Had I known, I might have fought for it a little more. But here we are today. And I say, let today, be, let today be the start of something new in your relationships. But the disciples are like, man, it's probably better off that, we don't, get, that I don't get married at all if I, if I can't get out of it. Unless she cheats on me and look at me, nobody's going to cheat on me, right? Or whatever. And... And, and, and they want to know, it's, so it's better off. And Jesus, he, he, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but he just says, look, not everybody can receive that saying. In other words, he's saying, probably, maybe, but, but not everybody can receive that. Not, not everybody's called to that. Some are. Because whether we're in a, a married relationship, a dating relationship, or, we are, or, or you're single, that's where God wants you right now. That's his plan for you. And he says, you embrace it. And Jesus uses an example of, of eunuchs. He said, look, there are some that are eunuchs because they've been made eunuchs by other men, right? There were, there were men who maybe were in trouble with the law, and instead of going to prison, they took the punishment of castration, and they were then assigned uh, either to be in the service of the king's harem to watch over all of the king's women, and so to make sure that, that only the king got those women, and that man didn't, and so they make sure that there was no way that that he could physically be with them. Or, or uh, maybe that man was called to be a servant to the queen. And so the king is like, I'm going to protect my wife from a man ever doing anything to her. And so physically made them a eunuch. He says some have been made that way from birth. And it wasn't necessarily that they were born without uh, genitals. It was uh, often thought that, that it was they were, had the inability to reproduce. And in those days... It was if you couldn't reproduce, the thought was, then who am I? So you gave yourself up into the service of, of the king because uh, I, I, my family's disowned me. I can't carry on the family name or anything like that. And then he says, and there are some who have who've been made eunuchs by choice, not through castration, but by saying, I am just going to devote myself to the kingdom work. And, I, and in order to do that, in order to focus on that, I can't have a family. And, and Jesus says, so there are some. 
but I love how he ended that. He said, uh, he said, there are some that just say, this is the role that I've been given so that I can serve my king. And I'm willingly entering into it. And I will embrace it with everything that I have. And, and so I, I just say this today. I would say, in your marriage, how are you serving the king, the role that you've been given? Are you embracing what it is that God has for you and clinging to it? Sacrificially giving of yourself to the other. Maybe today you're like, I, I would love to be married. It just doesn't seem like it's happening. It's going really slow. And I just say, embrace it. Use it as opportunity. God, what is it that you want for me until you give me what it is that, that I've been asking you for? Own the home that God has for you and glorify him in it. Let me go back to the Malachi passage as we end going into communion. This is God hates divorce. Let me just say this. Because, I, I, again, I say in a room this size, I know that there are broken hearts, broken relationships. God hates divorce. But he does not hate you. It's so important that you understand that. He loves each and every one of us. He gave his son's life up for us. His intention and Jesus, what he did on that cross, takes away uh, the punishment of our, our sin, also takes away the shame and the guilt so that you don't have to live with it. You just go before the Father and maybe just say, I didn't, I didn't know. Forgive me, but I want to do right by you. God loves you and designed you to be the person you are just the way you are, no, no matter what. Anybody has once said about you, whatever lie that you believe about yourself. But let me just say, for, for the married couples in the room, for young people that are growing up and, and praying for that spouse someday, do not take marriage lightly. God, God, at the creation story, marriage was part of the creation story. To say, this is how... I will glorify myself. This is how my son will come into the world. And this is how my son will be shown to the world by the relationship, by the marriages of God's people. Shine like Jesus. Tell a message about Christ and his redemption through the marriage that you have. If you're having trouble clinging to one another right now, um, cling to Christ who never leaves us, never forsakes us can't really be around each other right now, then, then each of you grab one of those hands that are extended out and nailed to that cross and let Jesus hold you together. Be a reminder of what he did and the sacrifice that he made. And just know there's no sin, no pain, no measure of immense sorrow that is outside the healing power of what Christ did on that cross for you. Whatever happened in the past, Jesus says, that's the past. Now let's live for today. Let's move forward. Embrace it, own it, receive it. The disciple of Jesus Christ holds high and applies the word of God, not for permission, right? But for the joy that is set before us of what it is that he's called us to do and who it is 
that he's called us to be as we devote ourselves to the service of our King. Amen.